Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, 1st through the 12th verse. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Our New Testament reading is from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the first verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Turn to the scripture in Luke that we read just a few moments ago with Blake. Luke chapter 15. Tyler says I'm dismissed the children. 
Let's pray together. Our Father, sometimes we sit in our rooms at home by ourselves and we read your word and we pray. And as we just heard sung, that is a blessed time. That is a precious time. But our Father, when we gather in this, your sanctuary, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our fellow priests. Oh, Father, how sweet that is to come and all of us pray together. Our Father, teach us to be priests. Teach us, Father, to care as much about coming before you for the world around us as we do about taking the word out to the world around us. This morning, we thank you that Jim Bennington can be here with us. We pray that you would continue healing him in this post-surgery period. We pray that you would strengthen him physically, keep him from injury and harm and complications. Our Father, we pray for Billy Griggs this morning. We thank you for his strong testimony and for the joy that he exudes. We pray that he would know your presence Father, we pray for Priscilla Turner that you would bring healing and strength for these days. Bless Carol Garner. Bring healing to her. We pray for Father Spence Halford and what he's going through with his eye that you will give the doctors wisdom, give everyone associated with this wisdom, that they will see and hear and know what needs to be done. We pray that you would protect him, protect his vision. Father, we pray your blessings upon all the families in our congregation, where there's sickness, where there's illness, where, Father, people are struggling with each other, where marriages are hurting, where relationships between children and parents are strained, Our Father, you know each one, and we lay those before you. We pray that you would bring peace, bring healing in our marriages, bring healing in our families. Our Father, we pray this morning for the farmers of Fayette County. 
We pray that you would protect the crops, that you would protect the harvest. Give good weather for that harvest. And now, as we open your word, our Father, we've been here so many times. And your word has been such a blessing to us. Your word has changed us from the inside out. We yearn to hear your voice. Not John Sartell. For he can't teach in any way that will change our hearts. But you've changed us in this room when we've heard your voice. And we pray that this morning once more we would hear your voice. We pray that, Father, we would leave here knowing that, knowing that we've been affected. We pray that you would change all of us, maybe some of us for the first time. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. That's a profound title if you think about it. It's a tough question, a question we don't want to ask. Is it possible that I could stand opposed to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ? We sing the hymn, Amazing Grace that Saved a Wretch Like Me. Is it possible that as an individual or as a church, we could stand opposed to that amazing grace? That's the subject this morning, because that's what happens. That's the reason for these parables in chapter 15. As you look at Jesus in this passage, you need to know that he was ticked. When we first read this, or when we first read this, we are warmed by the aggressive hospitality of Jesus Christ. God welcomes sinners. Jesus sits. And eats with sinners. However, upon closer examination, we see that this parable was not told to wandering sinners, but to the Pharisees. Look at the first verse. Now the tax gatherers and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He heard what they were saying. And he turned to the Pharisees, and this is the parable that he addressed as they looked down on him and eating with these sinners. How many times has this happened since we began our study in Luke? Over and over again, the Pharisees had complained about Jesus' association with this riffraff with people outside the pale of their church. Jesus devoted their three parables in chapter 15. We'll deal with two of them this morning. He told three parables, not one, but three parables to these murmuring Pharisees. Each parable was a 30 alt 6 aimed right between their eyes. He began with the parable of the lost sheep. I think the reason he did that was because they already knew this parable. 
Did you know that? They already knew it. It came right out of the Old Testament. We read it this morning in Ezekiel 34. Let's look at it very briefly. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. And that's what the Pharisees were, the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool, and you slaughter choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Now look at the next words. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and bitterly. Every one of those Pharisees knew this passage. They knew what Jesus was saying. In this parable, he was comparing them to the shepherds who didn't care in Ezekiel's day. Now, what we often miss is that in these three parables, Jesus was calling down judgment on these false shepherds the same way Ezekiel was in his day. People, there's a side to these parables that is beautiful, that is wooey. That is saving. I was talking to someone yesterday. They had called to tell me they would not be here today. And they asked, you know, what what was the subject? And I said, it's it's Jesus, the shepherd, telling the, the parable of the wandering sheep and the shepherd. And the person said, I love that passage. I will listen to it. I'll listen to it online. Only that's one of my favorite passages. It is an inviting passage, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. Uh, this is a side of the parable. This that ends in a party. It's good, but there is also a side to these three parables that is dark and stormy, as God calls down judgment and condemnation on a church that was trying to stand in the way of his grace and trying to stop him from going to Calvary and trying to stop him from reaching and wooing and saving. Jesus was mad. Make no mistake about it. And I don't want him mad in the same way with Christ Presbyterian Church. Do you know how easy it is to become these Pharisees? So the question before the house is, is it possible that we at Christ Presbyterian Church, that I, as John Sartell, would stand opposed to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ? You may think that's not possible. I would never do that. John, I don't think you would ever do that. If you think that, you really do not understand who we are and our proclivity to self-righteousness. Let's look at these first two parables and ask four questions. The first question, who are the lost? Look at verse four. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, verse eight, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Who is the lost sheep? Who's the lost coin? Very simply, people who are lost from God in this world. Ernest Hemingway's books 
always reflected the people and the times he experienced. That's important to know if you're going to understand Hemingway and his book. Between World War I and World War II, he was called the writer of the lost generation. Why that title? Why did we, he, was he a member of a lost generation? World War I had robbed them of their faith in the moral values and the virtues that they once believed and trusted. Hemingway and his generation after that lived with cynical disregard for anything but their own emotional and physical needs. That was their total concern. He wrote this. Listen to it. Our Nada, who art in Nada, Nada be thy name, Thy kingdom, Nada, thy will be Nada, in Nada as it is in Nada. Give us this Nada, our daily Nada, and Nada us, our Nada, as we Nada our Nadas, and Nada us not into Nada, but deliver us from Nada. Hail nothing, full of nothing. Nothing is with thee. There is no God. There is no law. There is no meaning. That generation did not know who made them. They did not know who they were. They did not know why they had been made. They did not know where they had come from. They didn't know where they were going. Young Hemingway, when he wrote that, was a lost sheep. He was a lost coin. I saw a woman on the sidewalk. She was on the corner of one of the side streets. Her cheap attire was an advertisement saying, here I am if you want to buy me. That was her job. That was how she was praying for her room, for her board, or for whatever. I watched her. She was a lost sheep. She was that lost coin. Then there was the boy that I knew and still know. His mother was a prostitute. He didn't know his father. His mother probably didn't either. All through his early years, he watched. His mother turned tricks. That was how he was raised until he was 12. He was in the lost world and he was lost. He was that sheep. He was that coin. But we would be remiss if we didn't say sometimes we get lost as Christians. Jesus did not set a tight definition on lostness in these parables. Many Christians want to look at others' sins, the lost, and say, I would never, ever do that. I weep when I hear people say that because at that point, they're in the greatest danger of doing exactly what they, that they say they would never do because they have no clue how easy it would be for them to do that. Do you know how many times I could sit here, I could spend the rest of our time this morning easy, just telling you story after story after story where someone looked at me, a self-righteous Christian. They came to talk to me about a friend who was failing in some way. And they would always say, or 
many would say. I don't understand how that person can can be a Christian. They couldn't be a Christian. A Christian doesn't do stuff like that. I would never do that. And when I mean, I got to the point where I would tear up and say, please don't say that. For before the year's out, you may be sitting here crying about your own soul, not somebody else's soul. When we say, I would never do anything like that, we know little about the sin that lurks within us. Even though we may be born again, changed. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what God said. Got lost for a while. He committed adultery and conspired to take another man's life. Abraham lied to the world, denied that his wife was his wife to save his own skin. Peter denied that he ever had anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. People, we wander as Christians. We take our eyes off of Christ and we're seduced. We forget who we are. And notice I'm not saying they, I'm saying we. We forget who we are. And we get lost. Not eternally lost. I know Christian women who have aborted a baby. I know Christians who have committed adultery. I know Christians who have embezzled money from their companies and gone to jail. I know Christians who have become involved once more in homosexual relationships. I know Christians who have returned to drugs. The hymn writer understood when he wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. See, that's where the Pharisees were. As they looked at, at, these, at these sinners who were really lost out in the world, eternally lost, in danger of being eternally lost. Why didn't, why didn't? They have more compassion. They could not see the own, their own proclivity to sin. When we're Christians and we wander like that, we are the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. Who are the lost? Second question. Where is Jesus? Look at verse 1 again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes, welcomes. He just doesn't teach them. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. He goes to their homes and he actually sits down and eats with them. He's eating with the Hemingways. He's eating with the prostitute from the street. He's eating with the rebellious boys raised by a prostitute that we don't want our children around because of his garbage man. 
Look at verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus was a shepherd. He went out to look for the one wandering sheep, the sheep that was lost. He went out. You see the difference. He went out to seek and to search for the lost. That's what he was doing when he was eating with these folks. He wasn't seeking their approval. He wasn't trying to be a good old boy. He was seeking their souls for good, for God, for salvation. He was seeking, he was reaching, he was loving, he was saving. Look at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully, and search carefully until she finds it? You see that? It's, it's, it's beautiful. She got out of light. She got out of her first century flashlight. You know, she got her broom. She was going to find that coin. She was looking. That's where Jesus was, and that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing that day. He was seeking. He was reaching. He was loving. He was saving. Now, here's where the gospel becomes absolutely scandalous. How far will Jesus go? Hey, he's eating with sinners over there. I mean, we know these guys to be white-collar criminals. We know that woman's a prostitute. What's he doing? How far will he go in his wild pursuit of the lost? How far will he go? People, that cross was no accident. Jesus came to die. In Mark 10, 45, he said, I came to give my life a ransom for many. In his pursuit of the lost, he had to pursue the cross. It was that pursuit that took him to Gethsemane. It was that pursuit that took him to Calvary. Ira Sankey was a 19th century Christian singer and composer. He became the song leader for the Billy Graham of that day for Dwight L. Moody, great 19th century preacher. Sankey wrote many hymns. One of the hymns that uh, many of you may know uh, or heard about was the hymn, There Were Ninety and Nine. And it's about a shepherd. It's a hymn about a shepherd. And one sheep gets away and the shepherd goes to find him. And in verse 3, the shepherd finds his sheep, puts him on his shoulder, brings him back, just like this parable. But in verse 3, we read this of that hymn. Sankey wrote it. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Verse 4 reads this way. Lord, whence are those blood Whence are, are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for the one gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pissed tonight by many of them. That's where Jesus is.
That's where he is today. He's seeking. He's searching. He's reaching. He's saving the lost. Who are the lost? Where is Jesus? Third question. Why is the party? Why is the party? Look at verse 5. And then he finds it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep. How many times are we going to say this? I hope this becomes ingrained into the DNA of Christ Presbyterian. How many times are we going to stay in the study of the gospel according to Luke? That the kingdom of God, that Jesus often compares it to a party. He does. I know the church I grew up in didn't understand that. They got the saving part. They got the cross part. They didn't get the party part. Look at verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost. There's got to be a party. All three of these parables in Luke 15, where do they end? They end in a party. Is God trying to tell us something? Yo-Yo Ma is a famous classical cellist. He was on his way to a performance in Brooklyn, going to a hotel before the performance. He had taken a cab and he put his cello in the back of the cab. He got out at the hotel. He was in a hurry. He had so much to do. And then he got to his room and he realized, where's my cello? He had left it in the cab. That cello was valued at $2.5 million. Have you ever misplaced $2.5 million? Can you imagine what that's like? Not just one coin. And so he became desperate searching. And the cab was found in the garage down in Queens. The cello was still in the trunk. You know, right there where the cab was, you know what they did? They called a press conference. And there was Yo-Yo Ma and all of his entourage and the people that are close to him. And they were laughing. They were having a party. (laughs) They found the cello. What if it's not a sheep or a coin or even a cello? What if it is an eternal soul? Look at verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Look at verse 10. In the same way, he's got to say this. In the same way, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus said there's a party in heaven. If there's a party in heaven, what in the world should should we be doing? Who are the lost? Where is Jesus? Why the party? Here's the hard part. The last question. Where's the church? 
in this scene. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man's welcome sinners and eats with them. That was the church. You understand that? That was the church. There are churches like that all over the Mid-South. The church in Jesus' day muttered. The word for mutter or murmur was gongozo. The word used here is dia gongozo. Dia means through. The, they murmured through and through the crowd. This is not just one Pharisee. Why does Jesus eat with these people? These people, we know these people. There's that prostitute. There's there's the white collar. These guys are white collar thieves. They're working for the Romans. You must understand that one of those Pharisees, if they saw one of the people Jesus eating with coming down the street, they would cross the street. And with them, it was a religious thing. It wasn't because they were mad at them. It was a religious thing. They thought they would be contaminated if they got near these people. If they brushed up against them, they would go home and take a religious breath and they would stand up and say, look how holy I am. Look how righteous I am. Where was Jesus? Jesus was there eating with them. He was seeking them. He was loving them. He was saving them. Do you see it? They were standing. They were standing in the way of Jesus' grace. They were standing in the way of the grace of Calvary. They were saying, no, not in our church. That's a dangerous place to stand between Jesus Christ and the people that he would save. But I'll tell you what. When we are self-righteous, that's exactly where we're standing. We may not understand it. We may not realize it. But if we stood off and we would look, we would say, I can't believe that. I look back at places in my life and I was directly opposed to the grace of God. I wasn't singing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me because I didn't think I was that much of a wretch. That's the message here. They were lost. The Pharisees themselves were lost. They were lost in their righteousness. They were lost in their self-righteousness. They did not know they needed repentance. They didn't know they needed finding. Is there anyone so righteous that they don't need to repent? I'll tell you what's impossible. It's impossible for you to come through that door on Sunday morning without your sin. You can't do it. We can look righteous. We can carry our Bibles. But we can't walk in that door without our sin. I have stood in this pulpit over and over and over again, and I've said to you, and I mean every word of it, 
Sometimes people have heard me say this and said, and have come to me, bothered by it, and said, John, you should not say that. I say to you, once more, if you knew what was in my heart, you would not want me as your pastor. But then, if I knew what was in your heart, sitting there this morning, I'd say, what in the world are you doing? But let me add an addendum to that. If you know yourself to be a sinner and you know you can't come through that door without your sin and you know you can't come to this table without your sin. You say, John, I'm glad you're my preacher. You know who I am. We know each other are and we know that each other needs Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning. I haven't come here. To tell you, be righteous like me. I'm a sinner. Telling another sinner. Where there's a Savior. I'm a beggar. Telling other beggars where to find bread. That's all we are. You know, really, to come through that door, if you really understand, the only reason you're here is because you're a sinner. And you've been saved. And you've come to worship. You've come once more to confess your sin. You've come once more to say, change me. That's why you're here. And that's why we come to this table. To remember the great, great, great salvation we have. If you don't come through the door like that, if you don't come to the table like that, coming as a sinner, then you'll not make it to the party. You won't even be invited. Our hymn is most appropriate. Come thou fount of every blessing. 